Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. I mean, one of the, the values of buying a business is we already had all these relationships set up with a lot of the um, ITOs or inbound organizations. And so one of the scarier things was that one one of them was giving us about sort of 50% of our business almost at some in some years. And so that terrified me because all your eggs in one basket can sort of you know, go belly up sometimes. So um, I definitely made a, a big effort to, to spend the money to go to the trade show. So ATE um, or Australian Tourism Exchange in Australia is the biggest one we have here. And so my my main goal there was to meet more of these ITOs and just and get them to know who I am um, and then get into their systems. And then once that happened over the years, then I've started to be able to meet the the um, agents that use those ICOs and it just makes business so much easier when they know that you're already with, with you know, ITO A or ITO B and they're like, sweet, they've already got your details, no worries, product sounds great, I already know how who I'm going to sell this to. So I guess you've got to really understand the the structure of how, of who you, who you should be speaking to because um, it's sort of pointless in a way to be talking to some of the agents if they only use one of the ITOs if that ITO doesn't have your product. Good morning, Tourpreneur community. Well, it's morning from me and from Jason Heffernan. It is not morning. He is from down in sunny Australia, so it's late in the day from him. Jason is from Backcountry Bliss. Jason, could you give the Tourpreneur community listeners a brief on yourself and what your company does? Thanks, Peter. Um, yeah, so my name's Jason. I run a, a small tour company up in Port Douglas. We're in uh, sort of the north of Queensland. We do small group tours in a rainforest river, uh, something a little bit different. We sort of float and snorkel through the river instead of just walking through it. Um, we also do a lot of private sort of custom chartered tours as well and uh, hiking tours if we've got the, the guests. How did you get into this business, Jason, and when did you get into it? Uh, so I became a tour guide about 2010. Uh, first started out in Central Australia doing um, sort of outback desert tours with backpackers. Uh, did that for about six years off and on between all over Australia, doing like seven-day tours. Uh, learned a lot about... Um, uh, guiding tours and then uh, started guiding up here um, in sort of Cairns, Port Douglas area and uh, just thought the natural progression would be to run a tour company because it seemed like I knew what I was doing and sort of uh, uh, learned a lot of challenges along the way that it's a little bit different than just guiding a tour. Um, but yeah, I've been, been guiding and in the tourism sort of uh, um, industry for 
yeah, almost 13 years now. So you mentioned seven-day tours, backpackers crossing the desert, etc. That's multi-day tours. Is your company multi-day at the moment? No, nah, so we only do um, sort of half-day tours or full-day tours. So we don't do any multi-day tours um, up here at all. And although you started in 210 as a guide, I'm always interested in why people come into this industry because it's weird and bizarre why people drop into this industry. Where did you come from prior to being a guide and, and why did you drop into this industry? Um, so I, was, I guess I was kind of in tourism before. I was living in London, doing what most Aussies do and doing their sort of two-year stint in London. Uh, ended up working at London Aquarium because I love fish, I love aquatic life and started working in the education department there doing uh, talks in front of all the different tanks. And then my visa ran out, ended up back home in Australia and I was just kind of just searching for something to do and randomly found uh, a tour right in the middle of Australia in a very, very little town um, and just thought, why not? And uh, yeah, it was a uh, a little bit different to living in London, going to Alice Springs, population like 30,000 people. So, um, yeah, but never looked back. So that's different. London and you were working at most Aussies I meet in London live in bars where you were at an, aqu an aquarium. So I lived in bars for a little bit, but <laughs> I had to yeah. work to, to afford living in bars. be the Aussie way when they're in London for their two years. They're either working yeah. in bars or living in bars or both. Yeah. So what date did you actually start your own operation, your, your half-day and full day operation what date was up so that was 2016 so i actually bought a, a business that was for sale um that was kind of i wasn't really looking to buy a business but i just saw it, a business for sale and then kind of just thought maybe i should be a bit more of an adult and uh try to run a business instead of um guiding them a lot and uh yeah so 2016 so it's been about six and a bit over six and a half years or yeah about six and a half years now this, this is interesting. Most of your community, and I've checked this, start businesses. It's only a minority that buy businesses to start with. Now, you're in that minority and I'm in that minority because I've done both startups and purchases, several of them. Uh, and I'm a big fan of buying rather than doing the startups, having done both. I would class startups as much, much harder than buying a business. Uh, and I've got whole other podcasts we could do on how you buy business actually done some in the past on how you buy businesses how you sell businesses so what made you buy rather than start uh i think definitely the tour that was for sale um uh, in the river so it was a bit of a mixture between what i my passion which was fish and guiding sort of combined so it was just a really random occurrence that um that we sort of stumbled upon it and yeah i guess I probably before then was always thinking that I would start a tour business, um, but this kind of was just a bit of a uh, a way in um, with something that was already set up. And I, yeah, I definitely now now learning what I've learned, I would definitely buy another business if I could, if it was the right business um, rather than starting something from scratch. So when I'm in the past been looking at buying businesses, I class them as free. That was a business. You find really good businesses, you find okay businesses, and you find pretty rubbish businesses. Now, I've always been a bottom feeder because I'm Scottish and I'm tight, and I've bought businesses that are pretty rubbish from a business perspective. Yeah. Often you have a decent brand, some market penetration, lots of customer stuff like that. But from a business perspective, I look for kind of broken businesses 
because I'm fairly confident I can fix broken businesses. Mm-hmm. Where would you class the business you bought on that scale? Was it a really good business? Was it a okay business or was it a rubbish business? I think it was a really good business that the owners uh, were running more as a, a lifestyle business. And so they weren't really, um, they'd had it for a while. So, and they'd, I think that they'd, they'd pushed it and then they realized they could just run it uh, as, as a lifestyle business and shut it down for a couple of weeks and go overseas and then come back. And they were just enjoying doing that. And so I guess I was, I would say it was a really good business that wasn't being pushed at the time that they sold it to what it could be, just purely because they were just quite content running it um, like they were. Nothing wrong with being quite content in life. And yeah, I, I would say I really appreciate what they were doing. And now I'm just like, man, that was such a good idea. How much spare time they had, they must have had. And yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah, very, very lucky. Honestly, it was uh, it was an absolute um like gold find uh, to find such an amazing couple as well. These outdoor education teachers that are running this sort of fantastic business. Um, and we're just looking for someone to sort of take it to the next level. And so, yeah, we, it was just fantastic people to meet and we still keep in contact today. So since you took it over, what was that, 2016, you said? Yeah, 2016, yeah. 2016, so you've had five, six years, albeit a few of them quite strange years as we've had them the last it's couple of so, yeah. <laughs> yeah it always has in business it's never a smooth line it's always up yeah. and down uh, so what's been the main wins what's went really well since you took the business over and um, what, what, what really really made business better uh i mean I, I don't. I hate to say, it, but COVID's been fantastic for us in the long run. I've, I mean, last year was our biggest year ever. Um, yeah. A lot of that's to do with the domestic market. We like Australians are just such insane travellers, and all of a sudden we were trapped in Australia, and the, the domestic tourism was just booming. As long as our state borders allowed us to move around, but um, that's been a, a big thing because of the domestic market. We were already in it, um, but I think the biggest thing is our the product that I bought originally, the River Drift Snorkeling Tour, was just, I think it was just waiting to be found. And so um, it, it's, it was a lot of work sort of trying to get the name out there, um, just sort of yelling at the top of a hill, trying to tell everybody that this tour exists. And that really did take a few years with social media and sort of media for mills and just jumping at every possible opportunity I could get um, and really... Probably last year, beginning of last year, I think I kind of noticed that we'd sort of hit critical mass and um, started to just uh, sort of reap the benefits of all of that, all of that work. So, I mean, the last couple of years have been desperate for tourism in the whole globally, but there's been pockets of success, like you said, Australia, your domestic market can go anywhere. Other destinations experienced that as well. We experienced that in UK, not this year, but 2021. Can go anywhere, so the UK boomed. Domestic greater mm-hmm. than sixty-five million people to play with because it couldn't go anywhere. So yeah. they had boom season, but it was open and shot, open and shot, open and shot. So it was yeah. boom, uh, boom drought, boom drought. We had previous, a similar thing. Yeah, previous year Florida, the US, lots of the US shot. Florida didn't really shot at all, and maybe for a couple of days here and there, but on the whole, Florida was open. So. A mass of US travelers headed for Florida. So the operators really, really boomed in Florida. I mean, some of them doubled and trebled the business. 
do. And I've been back for it this year, speaking to some of them. I spoke to them at the time. A lot of them took that as the world's changed and this is what it's going to be like going forward. Yeah. And they reinvested for the following year, hoping with the same levels. And obviously when the world opened up, travel then spread back to a lot of places at work. So people have had boom years that are now back to, I wouldn't say normal because I don't believe we're anywhere near normal at the moment, but they certainly had a peak that they're probably not going to have again. Mm -hmm. uh, so how are you coping with probably life starting to return to normal as the Australians start to do international travel again? It's not, I know it's not absolutely booming with international travel coming out of Australia yet, but I am seeing a lot more Aussies around the world when I'm traveling than I did last year when I've seen virtually none or the ones I did meet were the ones that couldn't get by because you wouldn't let them come home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, honestly, one of the biggest things is I didn't, um lose those connections i had to all those other um channels so it, it seemed like a lot of people not like that especially up here some people got a little comfortable with the amount of domestic business we had and they just thought it was going to last forever and therefore we don't have to work with the the itl like the inbound tourism organizations or other sort of third parties um but it, nothing lasts forever and it was just I've definitely maintained all those connections and now they're all starting to boom while domestic sort of dropping a little bit. And so you can just see the value in maintaining those um, relationships where, where possible. Um, so yeah, I think just nothing lasts forever really is. You just got to always remember that. And travel, and travel that lasts for about a week at my, my recent experience yeah. last year, everyone changes every couple of weeks. So you mm. mentioned the channels there and different routes to market. So can you tell the listeners your split between B2C and B2B? Um, yeah, I mean, it's still a bit weird right now. We still probably get about, and it has dropped a bit. I think it would still be 80% direct at the moment. Um, and that 20%, yeah, that, that B2B is definitely growing, um, especially for next year with our, uh, sort of higher end market, especially US, uh, it just seems to have just turned on um, all of a sudden. Um, and yeah, so I think I think there's at the moment we have more Australians leaving than internationals arriving. So that deficit is hopefully going to get filled by more international travellers coming back. Um, and so I can, yeah, we, I can definitely see that. I can definitely start to see all those channels and cogs turning back on again. Um, yeah. What would yeah, be I your direct business but uh yeah for sure if it was a normal year whatever normal is what would be your optimum mix in your business how much do you look for b2b versus b2c uh i think before yeah i guess a normal year before covid would have been maybe 50 50 almost i think we we have such a strong domestic market up here anyway especially school holidays um yeah. that we did get a huge amount of business that way but we had really good relationships with all the local hotels. Um, they just keep ringing us all the time. So yeah, it was about 50, 50, um, probably when I got it to where I really wanted it, it was about half, half, uh, yeah, yeah. but then it, yeah, it's, it's sort of swayed the other way right now, which is good for the lack of commissions, but, um, yeah. It's hard in other ways. So if we could just dig into your B2B channels, the reason I'm kind of concentrating on B2B here, it's just, Certainly in this hemisphere, it's 
we have just got to the end of the travel show season. So mm -hmm. from about September through to now, there's show after show after show in the US and Europe, and various places. So a lot of operators have been out building the B2B relationships or rebuilding the B2B relationships yeah. that have never been broken for the last couple of years. But we have a lot of listeners in the in the group that a B2C or the B2B basically uh, consists of a couple of OTAs, uh, stuff they can do online, whereas they haven't gone out and done the face based stuff, meeting different companies, meeting different channels that they can enhance their business. So if we could just spend a little bit on your on your B2B spread and just talk a little bit about the sort of different partners that you work with and where, and where they come from. Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, I mean, one of the, the values of buying a business is we already had all these relationships set up with a lot of the um, ITOs or inbound organizations. And so one of the scarier things was that one, one of them was giving us about sort of 50% of our business almost at some, in some years. And so that terrified me because all your eggs in one basket can sort of, you know, go belly up sometimes. So um, I definitely made a, a big effort to, to spend the money to go to the trade shows so ATE um, or Australian Tourism Exchange in Australia is the biggest one we have here. And so my, my main goal there was to meet more of these ITOs and just and get them to know who I am um, and then get into their systems. And then once that happened over the years, then I've started to be able to meet the, the um, agents that use those ITOs. And it just makes business so much easier when they know that you're already with, with you know, ITO A or ITO B. And they're like, sweet, they've already got your details. No worries. Product sounds great. I already know how who I'm going to sell this to. So I guess you've got to really understand the the structure of how of who you who you should be speaking to. Um, because it's sort of pointless in a way to be talking to some of the agents if they only use one of the ITOs if that ITO doesn't have your product at all. Our travel world is full of acronyms and stuff that it's different from region to region. So for the operators, just tell us what an ITO is. Uh, so I see, do you call them DMCs? Is that a DMC yeah. over in? Yeah, they are, yeah. So it's an inbound, basically it's a an agent in Australia that deals with international agents um, and it's sort of their point uh, to contact. Um, yeah, I guess at the top of the, the agent list and then it can kind of filter down through there, through the wholesaler and retail shop. For the listeners in Europe and US, that would basically be a DMC. The the DMC is is the inbound meeting, and then you're a supplier to the, the DMC. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's been some of the uh, the most valuable um, relationships that we've had, and uh, and yeah, and now with all the other trade shows that I go to, it's just sort of maintaining that connection. Um, I was just over in the US um, for Marketplace on the West Coast there, and that was I mean fantastic just to be overseas again, but also just to uh, meet up with some of the agents that we hadn't um, heard from from a while and just sort of just, yeah, reconnect and also find new agents as well. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely definitely well worth it. It is a big investment. Um, it was terrifying the first year that I paid for uh, ATE, the tourism exchange here. Um, yeah, it was a lot of money and uh, very daunting to spend it, but once you go and you realize the connections that you make just in the, those few days you can instantly see that this is worth a lot more 
than um, than the price you pay. So this is quite interesting because I've just at early doors this morning, six o'clock. I was just finishing an article about trade shows because I've just come back from World Trade Travel Market myself in London, and that's me done for trade shows in the year. And we've got lots of questions in the group about trade shows. So I wrote an article for this week's newsletter, which will be going out later today on trade shows. And the biggest one is always the big questions because they are expensive, which are in all the kinds of hotels, cost to get in if you stand up, they are expensive. And I always get asked the question, do you get payback? My answer is always it depends. Because mm -hmm. you have to put the work in and you have to do the planning and you have to do the and you have to do the follow-up. Yeah, in my experience, if you do all that in the B2B world, I don't think there's a better way of getting customers in the B2B world. It's different for B2C, but in the B2B world, and when people look at the cost, I always say to them, you worry, how long are you going to be in business for? If you sign up an agent at a trade show, that agent could be with you 10 years, 15 years, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. I recently yeah. sold a business that went agent who had been with me for 20 years. The new owners got 20 year relationships and have been sent to business for 20 years. And I got them in 2002 or 2003, whatever it was. So, so you have to look at the value of these things over a protracted period of time rather than a return on investment. It probably doesn't pay back on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, it is hard to see see that far for i mean at the time that i booked my first trade show i was sort of wasn't really even giving myself an official wage and so i was just kind of trying to like push forward push forward push forward so it is yeah it's it's it is daunting but once you truly understand it's i think it's good just to talk to other people especially small businesses that go to these trade shows it's really good to have a chat and just ask them sort of what what do you really get out of it um do you think yeah and just have a chat just do you think this product's for that market or it, yeah it's I, I think it's definitely worth it especially if you've got a product so um that you yeah that you, i also think worth starting small having broken local ones and then the original ones don't just jump on a plane and spend thousands of thousands of dollars and fly oh, to yeah. europe yeah. Do, all, do all the small local ones where there's operators coming to them from other countries absolutely so, I mean, this year, that was my first ever international trade show this year. And so um, part of it was a really good excuse to get overseas, but also because I really wanted to um, reconnect with that American market again. But there's no way I would have considered that earlier on. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, that's more. I mean, realistically, you can still just contact these um, DMCs or ITOs without going to the trade show um, and just say, hey, like, uh, you know, try and arrange a meeting with the, the product specialists and say, hey, you know, this is this is who I am. This is what we do. Um, uh, these are. I really think it'd be a great product for this region. And do you have time in your calendar of the next month that I could maybe come and chat to your agents and just give a bit of a, you know, ten minute spiel, five minute spiel on what I do. And then, yeah, I mean, that's a, a much cheaper way to do it than the trade show. But no, no, for sure. But it's also a combination. You open up the relationships digitally. Which yeah. the last couple of all had no choice but to open the relationships digitally, and then mm -hmm. you cement relationships when you get that opportunity to see people face to face because you're both in the same place at the same time. That's yeah. when that relationship is cemented. So my experience, even if the business going beforehand, if you cement it in person and 
deepen that relationship better business flows oh yeah face to face you, you know it's become basically in a way you become friend business friends in a way and then you yeah. definitely form that relationship a bit better so yeah no it's it's definitely a great channel um yeah so a lot of the i definitely tried my hardest to disperse the business over more um areas and then definitely looked into more of the otas um which people sort of tend to love love or hate um either across the board or just depending on the on the company um and yeah they've been they've been quite good as well they sort of have their own challenges uh especially if they don't directly link to booking systems um how you want but i don't think any one ota works perfectly with any with all the booking but, systems there's no such thing as perfect in this the sort of lessons that i'm hearing from projecting here for the community here is took over a business where it was unbalanced because too much business was coming from one channel uh, mm -hmm. and i see time and time and time again community businesses we have to focus on distribution to get an even balance businesses there is no perfect mix because every operator is different uh, a big mix makes a more secure and emotional business if no one is more than a few percent of your business or five ten percent maximum of your business well, then you've got a, a business that is really resilient with the people go out the business and drop out it's mm -hmm. much easier to replace five to ten percent than it is to replace thirty percent or or fifty percent so this is this is a security of life in your business uh, jason at some point may you come to sell his business you may sell your business in the future and if you're looking to sell a business that has multiple channels in it without overexposure that business mm -hmm. is more valuable than a business that's only got two or three channels and overexposed to different channels some people pay more for more secure business yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah it's definitely, especially now, all everything's starting to turn back on again. I think uh, the we've never seen so many emails from so many different sources, um, which has been been kind of good. So, uh, so let's yeah. talk about that. And you're you're looking forward to 2023. Everything seems to be turning back on for Australia, and I would say Australia lagged, certainly lagged the USA, lagged Europe mm -hmm. from coming out of COVID chaos for almost. A oh yeah, we did lock our borders pretty hard. Yeah, so these are really lagging a bit and maybe going to experience 2023. We all experienced a bit of last year and, and this year. Which, but there's also some headwinds in the economies of the world, uh, particularly in Europe. I would say USA less so. Europe is a bit of a basket case at the moment. UK is complete basket case economically at the moment. And America, I would say, is a bit less. Asia is still not fully coming so there's economic headwinds everywhere that are going to impact travel. They haven't impacted travel in 2022, but they are going to impact it. They cannot be immune to economic mm -hmm. People can't keep their house, keep their feet, their families. They're not yeah. jumping on yeah, yeah. to go to go on holiday. That's just a logical fact. Uh, but I've just got back from trade show. Everybody's happy. Everybody's seen outrageous levels of business. Everybody's saying inquiries for 2023 are through the roof. So I'm slightly confused that I'm looking at the economy, which is crashing. And yeah. In, yeah. In, in respect, and yet 2023 looks like it could be really good. So I'm slightly confused. Yeah. Um, 
I fully agree. Like it's, you know, inflation in Australia, we're not immune to that at all. Um, it's just on the news every single day, but travel's still still going strong. Um, definitely I've seen, because we do a lot of high-end tours as well, so a lot of custom-designed private touring. Um, and so that that's, yeah, I think, I think certain markets, especially the ones that had the money to begin with, um, are definitely not shying away to big ticket holidays. Um, yeah. So one thing I've really started to look at is actually designing tours that, you know, I would, I could never afford myself, but that are just exceptional once in a lifetime experiences that, uh, where budget isn't an issue and just talking to agents in that, those sort of markets, the, when they ask about the price, they're just, they're like, Oh yeah, no dramas, all good. Um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely opened my eyes to a, a potential, like a, a market that we're already in, but definitely shows that I could really push it um, to, to, yeah, to, to take advantage or make take, make the most of um, those people coming over that just want something that's unique. They don't really care about the price as much. They just want an, ex, you know, yeah, yeah so someone that can't be walking normally. I'll explore that a little bit more for the reason we come across this all the time in the community. Operators are building tours building experiences that they like and they're passionate about mm -hmm. and i get that the vast majority are building what they like and what they're passionate about but there is the assumption and the mistake that they price them at the level they can pay and you are not your customer the market is yeah. your customer the market segment you've gone and it's psychological the operators have to get over that psychological barrier there is markets out there that pay four to five to ten times more than you would pay for an experience. Oh yeah, it's, it's yeah. the value every the value people place on experiences is different depending mm -hmm. on who the people are. Therefore, the one price for all scenario it, it works if you do enough volume, but mm -hmm. you're leaving so much profit on the table by pricing the one price to the whole market when the market yeah. is made up hugely different. Uh, people who are willing to pay different rates for different experiences. And why this is really important going forward is operators are obsessed with getting more customers. I get it. I've been an operator for five years. I get it. But you can be a really, really profitable business and growing profitable business without growing your customer base. Yeah. By growing your experience range, type of experiences and critically the price and profit point of the experiences and and maybe as we go into a crazy world where certain destinations are certainly struggling with over tourism and also the environmental challenges growth of numbers may not just be the only way forward it could be growth of the experiences and growth of the price yeah i mean yeah it's it has taken me a little while to get over like even the shock in my own voice saying how much some of these like one day tours would be because it involves like a you know half an hour chopper flight into the middle of nowhere and then ex like exclusive everything and it's it is actually it's really i mean six plus years on it's only really been the later half of this year that i've really gotten to gotten comfortable with the fact that the, that the price isn't really the they don't really care about the price they want to make sure that it is an amazing product that you're creating and we still sell like fairly very cheap uh small group tours 
to you know everyday Australians or internationals coming over, but at the same time we can still have these sort of high ticket items that are not designed for every single day sale, but they're there for those clients, uh, especially the higher end markets um, that just want it. And so, yeah, it's definitely a new avenue that I want to. I'm trying to lean into a bit more. Um, but but in the experience, in the experience economy, and people value experiences now more than they value things on the yeah. whole. And they're willing to pay pay well for experiences. We as operators cannot put our judgment on the customer what they value their time up. Everyone yeah. values their time at a different rate. Their yeah. job is to create stunning experiences and price them really, really well for different markets, accepting mm -hmm. that people pay all different all different things. Have you ever thought about you, you keep mentioning half day and full day? Have you ever thought of going in back into multi day? And when I say multi day, everybody thinks oh we're back into seven, ten, fifteen, three week tours. Multi day to me can be two days. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean when I first came here and bought this business because I'd come from a multi day tour guide perspective, my whole goal was like let's start a multi day tour. No one's doing multi day tours from or not not many they're doing from Port Douglas. And I think I just slowly accepted that where we are is like the we've got the Daintree Rainforest um, and the Great Barrier Reef next to us. But most stuff we can do within a day. I would anyone self-driving, I'd say spend like two, two plus days up north in in the Daintree. But on a tour, I think a lot of people had less time. The destination was sort of sold as like one day for the rainforest, one day for the reef, um, and then you continue on to your next area. But um, yeah, I, I really did look into it, and I think I've just accepted that. Um, like I've got a good mate that started a business up here, and he runs multi-day tours, and he's sort of a bird expert. Uh, does fantastic, fantastic like five-day tours, and uh, he's doing really, really well. So it's definitely there's definitely a market here for it. I think I've just found that I'm very comfortable with these sort of half-day one day tours um, for what for where we're trying to go and what we're trying to do within our area. Um, yeah, I think we're just, I definitely wanted to when I first came though. Yeah, the reason I bring it up is in probability, more profit we have customers without doing more customers. There's also data coming out, and I've always found this, I've found this for 20 years, that although people search for destination first and then accommodation and then experience, mm -hmm. I've always captured markets the people who have searched for experiences first. And if, yeah. you know, if you capture an inquiry for experiences first, you can then sell all sorts of services on the back of it, be it transport, be it accommodation, be it mm -hmm. restaurants, food, which builds out your package and what it is. The, that was always a minority in the market, but we're getting data coming out now that showing search left for experience first before the logistical stuff increasing and increasing and increasing. I think yeah. it's coming. We're in this experience world where everybody's looking for experience and integration rather than things, and more and more people are treating hotels as a commodity in bed because they want to spend the money on the the experiences. Yeah. Yeah. The, the operator, this is gold. This is a huge opportunity. If you've got a market that's sat suddenly searching for experiences prior to doing the logistics of bed, food, transport to me that mm -hmm. just a huge opportunity for operators to work with partners package out a better experience for the customer 
and make more margin for stuff that you don't you don't actually deliver. Yeah. You're just booking it for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's. I think where we are sometimes the hotel is actually the experience as well. Like we have these insane, like incredible hotels in the rainforest, and so sometimes they want to get back early just so they can spend more time at the hotel. So I think we're in a bit of a unique spot where we are because we're right in the spot where people are exploring. Um, but honestly, there's so much so much you could do up here. You could spend days and days and days. And so really there's nothing stopping anyone. I'm definitely not going to put my hand up. I've got my hands full. But there's definitely plenty of room for multi-day tours up here. I'd be all for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when you say you've got your hands full, how, how many people are in the business for you? How many employees? Um, we've got about have you got a business got about 18, 18 employees now. It's sort of it's yeah. sort of exploded uh, over the last year. Um, we sort of as I think as I discovered being overseas, everyone has a staff shortage at the moment, and we had that for a long time, and we we're just pushing, 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 hiring, 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 and then all of a sudden, I think we ended up with so many staff. But we're yeah, it's I think we were limiting tours because of staff numbers we definitely were um we've got uh like four of us in the office um not all at the same time sort of dispersed over over the week and then i got two um trainee tour guides that we get from the um there's an indigenous uh training facility just near us so we've got um two indigenous trainee tour guides which have been fantastic and then the rest are a mixture of locals uh, a couple of backpackers um and just people that have moved up interstate to try something different. So it's definitely grown you, quickly. Are you, are you sole owner or you, you have a business partner or are you 100% owner? Uh, so my parents, where the three of us are, are, are the owners of the business because I definitely on a tour guide salary didn't really quite have the funds back in 2016 uh, to buy, buy a tour business. Um, so I definitely had to put a pretty good argument to my parents with a big, big business plan and do all of the the graphs and the the pitch and everything and um, yeah. So we have a yeah, but I'm yeah. Basically, I'm I'm the the one making most of the decisions and and then parents backing up. Yeah, that's a brave decision to go into business with your parents. I'm pretty sure. Didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah, love my parents, but yeah, it's a bit strange being your mum's boss. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bit like going into business with your wife, and I know many, many of our operators are in business with their partners, but yeah, that definitely <laughs> wouldn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. So looking forward to twenty twenty three. You've already mentioned the inquiries are coming in. What, what do you think your main challenges for 2023? Um, it's, I'm really curious to see what happens with Australia's, especially, I mean, the, the world's view on travel as a, a luxury if the economies are going to continue going the direction that the media keeps telling us. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably my biggest concern. Um, yeah and then staffing like what's happening with we, we're in a small town so how like sh housing shortages and trying to get staff to live in them they're, they're definitely some of the bigger challenges we face um yeah i'm mean, so lucky we basically use a natural environment for the whole tour so there's not 
too much that can go wrong there um, besides the river stop flowing, but that's never happened, um, <laughs> which is good because it's where our drinking water comes from. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely just people's view on travel. Um, I think everyone's very excited still that the world's opening back up again, and that's why we're seeing such booms everywhere. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see next year. I'm definitely not seeing anything slowing down, so I'm hoping that that kind of goes What's against the media. What's the Australian dollar doing versus the US dollar? Because the US dollar seems to be hugely strong against the euro. Yeah, it, it was not a cheap trip for me in the US this year in August. Yeah. Um, my dollar's pretty pretty low um, to the US dollar, which is great for inbound, really. Like, we, we want it. It's terrible for us going overseas, but it's fantastic for us to get um, international people coming here because we're not a cheap country. Australians get paid quite high wages. Um, things are more expensive in a dollar value in Australia. And so especially when our dollar's low to the US, it is, it's fantastic. We get huge amounts of US business coming over um, and it definitely helps to... I, I to do think the, that's going to be a big offset for Europe, UK and Australia next year that if the economy does go where we're all thinking it's going, there's still a big US market who have money in the bank. Yeah. see Australia as value mm -hmm. at the moment because it's going to well, certainly in the UK and Europe is one for one, which in my lifetime it's never been. So they're very well. coming over. Uh, so, yeah, I do think that's going to be a big saviour for a lot of your pound operators uh, going forward yeah. if, if they're targeting the right market. Definitely. That's a very safe, safe, reliable destination. So when there's turmoil in the world and a bit of unrest i think it's a very easy default for people to come to australia because it's just they're just there's no concerns everything is going to run smoothly and we're pretty far away from um, yeah i think it's worth pointing out for our operators on that point because again i've just got back for travel shows everybody's smiling everybody's happy everybody's had huge amounts of business coming back back to 2019 levels or above but i think it's worth pointing out there's still lots of regions of the world who are still at 20 percent, 30 percent of 2019 and certain some areas of asia i was on a podcast yesterday with a lady from georgia where the tourism has been decimated because they're so close to ukraine the situation yeah right so i do think it's worth pointing out that the bounce back of tourism has been fantastic and great, but we have still lots of destinations in the world for various reasons. Oh, it's so uneven. Yeah, yeah honestly, I'm, I'm so grateful for where for how things are going right here. It's not even it's not the same all over Australia. Um, yeah, I'm. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't uh, go past me how how lucky we, our specific destination is just to have to to be going so well because I fully appreciate um not everyone's in the same basket and it's it's yeah but i mean it's a it's tourism is such a guaranteed uh thing to exist like people aren't going to stop traveling there's going to be dips and like peaks and troughs um so i guess the the biggest thing cool. is when it's low just just work on building those channels and getting ready for when it when it bounces back i think operators do need to realize growth is baked into travel because of the world keep growing middle class who have got more money 
keep growing. Uh, I will bring amounts when you look at it on a global basis. Therefore, growth of tourism is a baked in solution. It is yeah. going to happen. The challenge is how do we manage that growth in a responsible way? Because the growth is coming anyway. Okay, yeah. that is just a based on demographics and numbers. The growth for travel is coming anyway. It's all about how we manage the growth and deliver great experiences. There's no way it doesn't trash, trash the world. So, Jason, we're going to wrap up now. A I'm just going to give a couple of points that I've got in this discussion and re-emphasize for the listeners. The first one was buy rather than build, or buy then build, versus start from nothing. I think there's lessons there. I'm not saying it there's a right or a wrong because it's different for everybody, but I do think people should really look into buy as well as starting businesses because I think there's distinct advantages of, of buying. Uh, other big lesson I think I've got from this for the community is if you've got a business that had uneven distribution and you've spent several years evening up that distribution, making the business stronger, making the business more resilient by evening up that distribution. Uh, B2B versus B2C and it moves all the time. Every year it's a different ratio, but you see the value in having great B2B partners, both yeah. from and locally, local hotels, local partners in the DMC world or ITOs, as, as you as you guys call them. So they're, they're the sorry lessons I've got out of this conversation. Have you got anything you want to leave the community with? Anything you you, you need to help um, from the community? Any questions for the community? Uh, I guess there's, yeah, it's such a good community, the entrepreneur community. I love I love the discussions. Um, it's so valuable having so many different insights uh, accessible to all of us. Um, I guess people that aren't in a, a boom area just just stay resilient and po and positive. It will it will bounce back. And the biggest thing is nothing lasts forever. So if if you're in this boom of domestic because and you're just going, no, nah, I don't need to work with these DMCs anymore. Um, I'd I'd reconsider that massively um it's yeah they're definitely you want to disperse your business across um not yeah not one channel is going to be uh, the whole source f forever so yeah okay thanks very much jason that's jason heffernan from back country bliss down in australia thanks very much thanks peter